0: Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth, boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, guys, welcome back. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. And uh, it's good to see you again, brother. And uh, I feel like I hadn't seen you in, it's been weeks, but it's only just been one week. (laughs)
1: Well, we we did our first episode last week after a few weeks of not doing any episodes. Um, So we were kind of getting back into the rhythm again.
0: Yeah. uh, And that was, of course, as a result of having come back from the G3 conference, which, by the way, we put up a little uh, question box at the G3 conference, got a lot of folks uh, who submitted questions. But there's one that before we start our episode today, (laughs) I thought it would be good to to review um and that's this question why is ecky such a troublemaker on twitter signed <laughs> our friend josh humphreys
1: oh and and if you follow josh humphreys which i i recommend that you do um he he puts up a whole series of uh, pretty spicy memes out there that I think actually raised uh, caused more trouble than I do, but uh, you know that's another that's another discussion for another day. But Josh is a good guy. He he um, he came to G three and he promised to buy a book for the first person that he greeted that he knew on Twitter, and I ended up being that first person. So he he got me a, a nice book. It was basically the um, the the abridged version of the biblical theology book from MacArthur and Mayhew. Um, so so I, I much appreciate that. But uh, yeah, Josh. Um, it takes it takes a troublemaker to know a troublemaker, and uh, you're you're up there as well. Oh, that's fun. Good, yeah, I agree. Uh, Josh has a a good account,
0: and um, he posts some funny stuff up there. It, it, you know, in Twitter is a world of uh, this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but just briefly, Twitter is a world where you get just so much insanity. Um, you can easily yeah. get sucked into that. You can get sucked into really just uh, hateful rhetoric, w- which we see really sort of just this yeah. angry, mean, hateful rhetoric rhetoric, um, and, and then you get guys who, I think, like Josh, who tries to throw in a little bit of levity, right, uh, with the yes. use of means and other things. And um, so, it's good if we're not too serious all the time. Um, <laughs> and, and I know that's something that I struggle with. I mean, my, my general demeanor is just more of a serious nature, but it's good to laugh. And so, I'm thankful yeah. for guys like that who, uh, um, yeah, put those things up there and kind of give us a break from all the craziness. So. But um, Agreed. But speaking about a break from craziness, um, interesting topic today. I want to talk about the role and function of the pastor. Um, and I think what will make this podcast a little bit unique is uh, this is not geared towards necessarily other pastors or those who want to go into the pastorate. Really, we want to talk about it from the angle of why. Um, the, the everyday church going believer should know what the role of a pastor is and how it affects them and their walk uh, and their understanding of Christianity. Because it really does affect, and I know you've seen this, I've seen it even just this week, where a lack of understanding of the pastor's role had a negative impact on the christian themselves because Mm -hmm. they function we all function out of um our theological understandings right and if you have poor doctrinal views uh, then your life is going to be affected in those areas and this is one of those areas so just for instance one that probably every pastor has been exposed to um and probably one that at some stage most believers have thought is that well, it's the pastor's role to do all the ministry. That's his job. I just come sit under
1: the teaching. The pastor's the one who's supposed to do all the ministry work, right? Yeah, that's a a really good point. And I think every pastor who has served for any amount of time has come across this and uh, may continue to have to um, kind of um, struggle against this kind of expectation. And I can say from a pastor's point of view, you always so much appreciate the grace and mercy upon God when someone actually understands from a biblical point of view, what is the expectation upon the pastor as well as the rest of the church? Because when you talk about the role of the pastor, you can't do that independent from the church. The pastor's job there, as we'll talk about a little bit more, but the pastor's job there is to equip the church for ministry. So, it's not just a one-man show, but it should be everyone who is engaged together on that. And I can tell you that every pastor uh, really appreciates a layperson that understands that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It makes life in the church. Um, I mean, not just all the more better, but more accurately reflect God's design for the church, which is what we all want to see, right? Amen. Um, it, yeah, and and so, well, let's just. You started with the fact that the pastor's role is to equip. The saints, right? I mean, I and I think look, I, I would ask folks to approach this, just set your thoughts and your opinions aside as we go to the word of God and let that shape um, what you believe because. I mean, everyone has a different opinion of what the pastor's role is, right? right. Uh, the pastor's supposed to you know, do um, special pageants three times a year because that's what the church does, or the yeah. pastor's role is also to be the accountant and the business executive and the CEO and all of those things. Um, and, and certainly, we get involved in things that just living the human life demands of us, but we have a very specific and defined role uh, as pastors by God. Um, so let's just jump into Ephesians. Uh, you brought that up already, Ephesians 4. Uh, let me just read a little bit of the section. And we're going to spend a lot of time in, in the Bible today. We like to do that, you know. Um, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 11 through 16, it says, And he gave some. And he gives a list uh, as apostles, as prophets, as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Now we understand apostles, prophets uh, no longer function today, right? That was for the foundation of the church. So we have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Or some would say that it's pastor teachers. But there's a specific reason, right? Um, I mean, first th- these are roles given to the gift, at, uh, the church as a gift. Right the pastor should never just be someone who arbitrarily decides he wants to preach in front of a congregation. These are actually gifts to the church and the function they serve is the very next verse in 12 for the equipping of the saints not for the pastor's ministry but for the work of for their work in ministry. Right? That's a big misconception. Right? Yeah. As as we've talked about. I mean just understanding that would change the dynamic of probably a great
1: majority of churches and how they function. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree completely. And if we start with the big picture of reminding ourselves who is the head of the church, the head of the church is Jesus Christ. It's not a person. And if the head of the church is Jesus Christ, that means that we as pastors first and foremost, serve Jesus Christ. And that means he's the one that dictates to us how it is we're supposed to function, not what the congregation wants. And if we start with that basic understanding that the boss, uh, you know, the the question is, who's the boss? The boss is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. That's the reason why he has that title. So, we we function according to what his expectations are. And this is This is providing it to us uh, in black and white, as you mentioned, for the equipping uh, of the saints. So, the pastor and the teachers exist there for the purpose of actually equipping all Christians who are in the church. You're being equipped, you're you're being prepared, right? And uh, what is it you're being prepared for? As you mentioned, it's the work of service, and the Greek word for service is the exact same word used for ministry. In other words, ministry is not just for the pastor or the elders or the teachers, it is for all the saints, and it's for the purpose at the end of verse 12, for the to the building up of the body of Christ. So, we have Christ as the head, um, providing these gifted positions to the church for the purpose of equipping the rest of the church to help build up the church. And so that means that ministry is a is a three hundred and sixty degree kind of uh, ministry. It's the responsibility of everyone who's involved in the church, and not just a select few, which um, unfortunately is the case for a lot of churches out there.
0: Yeah, I, I you know if I had to guess, I, my suspicion is that the majority of people believe, uh, you know not what we just taught, but the former, uh, that the ministry is the work of the pastor, right? Um, I, this verse is so rich, and, and I love this Ephesians verse. And as it happens, uh, our church, I'm preaching through the book of Ephesians. Um, we, we only make it a verse or two or three a week, but uh, we're in the first chapter. Uh, but this is such a rich verse because continue on in verse 14. I mean, just listen to the other results of rightly understanding that pastors are equipping you, the saints, for ministry. Uh, verse fourteen. As a result, as a result of what of everything we've just stated, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. I, I mean that that's incredible. Um, that's huge. You, you know, so rightly understanding the role of the pastor, so that. As a believer, you understand your function in the body of Christ ultimately produces a steadfastness in your faith that keeps you from being snared by false doctrine, by false teachers. Um, I mean, this is kind of the very thing that uh, the book of jude alludes to when he talks about building yourself up in your faith you know understanding this would certainly contribute to and produce
1: that kind of thing powerful verse yeah and i I would say what's being described there is discernment right i mean we don't see the word discern but you are growing in your discernment and there's even a verse um, in the old testament in jeremiah chapter 3 verses 12 and remember that jeremiah was the last prophet in judah uh, leading into the exile And so if the, if that was the final stage of exile, you understand just from context. That, that was a period where God's judgment had reached the point of kicking them out of the promised land because of continued disobedience. So, Jeremiah, that, that, it's no surprise when you find out that Jeremiah had ministered for close to 50 years and saw no repentance. But in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12, um, the Lord looks towards the future and says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. And, and later on, he he goes on to say that uh, in, in chapter 10, verse 21, for the shepherds, Shepherds have become stupid and have not sought the Lord. And so, the, and this is not talking about the chief shepherd. Our chief shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the idea is that those who oversee the people, whether it be the elders and, and teachers and, and pastors, um, our job is to make sure that we feed you with knowledge and understanding for that purpose. Verse 14. And by the way, you're reading through a section. Those who are in my church listening to this, they're laughing because I, I preached through Ephesians. Um, they'd never seen such detailed preaching in one book, and, and they know that this is a section I go back to over and over again. In fact, the motto of our church is growing together um, in Christ, and it really comes from uh, verses 11 through 16. But uh, again, as a result, we are no longer to be children, meaning we're, we're mature. And maturity, spiritual maturity, is not that you're just more happy. You know, it's not that uh, you're you're just more comfortable, you know, or that you're more of a loving person. I mean, those, those, those things are involved there, but primarily where Paul goes well, when, when he says you're no longer be children, is that your discernment, your your ability to discern now is so strong that you're not tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. That means when you whether you're on social media and you're reading what something someone is posting about the Christian faith or whether you're listening to some pastor or whether you're listening to your own pastor, you have the ability to listen and, and to be able to discern whether it's truly God's Word or whether it's really just kind of the motivations or feelings or, or the desires of the world. That, that's the whole idea of that verse 14.
0: Yeah and I mean and you just spoke to it you know already verse 15 again uh, one of the results we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head that is Christ right and and so all you know when a tr- when a when a church functions well um when believers understand that it's not just the pastor's role to do all the ministry. Um, that they have their own ministry that they're called to, their own works of service, their own good acts that God's prepared them for, and the pastor's role is to equip them to do that. Um, you know, ultimately, the result is that they they grow up, right? We grow up, yeah. Um, just as you mentioned, and so yeah, beautiful pass uh, passage that I think you know should just be reiterated over and over again, especially. You know, we are generally, I think, the church in the West is very apathetic anyway. Um, You know, we kind of drag ourselves to go to church on Sunday mornings, um, and, and even then, you know, it's not always with a right heart motive, um, with an expectation of worshiping God. Oftentimes it's out of duty. Um, and sometimes that's okay, right? We do the right thing out of yeah. a right sense of duty. We understand that. Um, but there's another apathy that is just, well, if I'm not hired by the church or I'm not an ordained minister, then yeah. that's that's on them. Uh, I'll come, I'll sit, I'll listen, I'll go home and I'll I'll watch the ball game and I'll be good. Uh, But that's just not the case, right? The whole reason pastors are given
1: um, is to grow up uh, the body of Christ. uh, Yeah, and there's there's one more aspect there, too. Uh, Right at the start of verse 15. So, I mean, instead of being children tossed here and there by basically false doctrine, verse 15 says we are to speak the truth in love. And I've got to point that out because a lot of times we tend to create this false dichotomy between truth and love, Mm. you know, as if um, to, to be loving is not to focus upon the truth or to focus upon the truth is not to be loving. Well, the part of the pastor's job in terms of equipping the church for the work of ministry, the result is that there are no longer children. They are very discerning. And, mm-hmm. and it says in verse 15, instead of being children, they are speaking the truth in love. And that, that means a couple, at least a couple of ways that that, that gets applied in my mind. One, that we are constantly affirming truth to each other in love. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, also when there is false doctrine, when there is false thinking, um, we respond to it with truth in love. And in fact, in the Greek, um, the the word speaking is actually not even there. It's it's literally truthing. Uh, truth mm-hmm. is turned into yeah. a verb. It's it's truthing um, in love, and so the the two go hand in hand. And and that is the desire of of a good pastor. That that is the mark of a good pastor. That he wants that um, in the flock. Um, that they're becoming more discerning, and they end up speaking the truth in love um, rather than just sharing sentimental stories that hmm. seek to make them feel good, or rather than just trying to be seeker sensitive, where you're trying to make the church serve. Service, more entertaining or appealing to the world; um, those are the marks of, of, of a pastor who does not understand the, the the mandate, the call from the Bible with regards to what his responsibility is.
0: Well, I think you just hit on something else that's really important for the body of Christ to understand. Uh, we we think of, you mentioned telling stories and, you know, you think of the pastors who, you know, stand in the pulpit and they make all these funny jokes and, you know, they are all these stories, they use movie clips. Um, it, yeah, our role is to preach and teach truth. Um, it, it's not to preach and teach what others want us to, not what a deacon board wants us to, not what, uh, y- you know, the general consensus in the in the body wants us to. Um, it, no one gets to say, "Well, we want you to preach about uh, you know this view or that view or this thing or that yeah. thing." Um, Politics, for instance. Yeah, we exactly. We have a mandate to preach truth, which comes from God. Uh, yeah. I, I think understanding that is very helpful too. So, why isn't? you know, if you're in a solidly biblical church, why isn't your pastor giving all these thoughts and opinions on just everything under the sun? Well, because God's mandate to us is that we preach and teach truth. Um, and then it's up to the individual to learn how to apply those things in their life situation. So, I, I think that's a good point, especially, um, you know, in coming from the South, in the East Coast, and now we're in Alaska, but growing up in the Bible Belt, I can tell you that a lot of Churches still kind of hold the view that the pastor teaches and preaches what they want him to, yeah. um, and there are even deacon boards who would impose that on pastors. Saw that uh, in the South, but that's just not how it works, right? It's not how God's ordained uh, uh, our job to be. So, that, yeah, that's and helpful. and
1: and especially in this uh, political, this hot political climate that we're in right now, um, a lot of people want us to preach politics now. The, um, the, the one who is going to uh, oppose that statement will point out that, hey, even saying that Jesus Christ is Lord is a political statement and that's true. If you're saying that Jesus Christ is Lord overall, you're saying that the ultimate authority is Jesus Christ. We, we have no choice but to make political statements when we start to talk about things like Romans 13, like we did a week ago, and talk about some of those limitations and whatnot. But there's a difference between talking about biblical politics versus talking about worldly politics. Um, we are to preach the Bible, and if there are political statements that are being made from the Bible, then we preach those political statements. Um, we do not get sucked into to secular politics, which may not support biblical politics. And the example that we just saw recently, I know uh, this past week, um, there were a whole series of, and, and I'm quoting directly what the tweet said quote-unquote black churches uh, where they were going to play, um, I, I think Kamala Harris was basically going to preach or share a message or something. She was going to do something over the air. And um, to his credit, and I'm often a, a critic of David French, but to his credit, credit he criticized that and said that, that that's not the right direction to go. I decided to look at the comments and a lot of people brought up, well, the other side had Mike Pence uh, go to a church in Texas and do the same thing. Well, I would say the same thing. That was wrong too. Um, and I don't care which party it is, Um, the, the church is not here in order for politicians to come and do their politicking, yeah, right? Um, yeah. the, the church is here in order to pro- proclaim the word of God. Now, if those people are coming and, and they're coming as a guest preacher and they're actually preaching the word of God, that's a whole different matter. But you're not going to get that from Kamala Harris. And plus, you shouldn't have a woman teaching the congregation anyway. And um, and, and even from Mike Pence, you're not necessarily going to get that. So, um, so we, we recognize that there is a difference between politics that is actually in the Bible versus um, the, the worldly realm of politics, which um it can be helpful to talk about outside but that's not the pastor's role to to just talk about um secular politics
0: yeah and you know on the other side uh, you know people often will shy away from uh, churches that they Perceive politics to be preached, and in reality, it's issues of biblical ethics or biblical yeah. morals. Homosexuality, abortion,
1: yeah, or abortion. homosexuality, abortion. Yep, that's right. You
0: know, for that's instance, right. I mean, I we actually had uh, someone in our community who asked my wife if I preach politics from the pulpit. Um, it, dig a little further, and what they meant was, do I speak against homosexuality? Well, that's not that's not politics. Right. We're talking about God's creation, his created order. We're talking about attacks on the family. Uh, This is just how God designed men and women in sexuality. So when I get to a text, by the way, this is a good, uh, Good, good time to promote, um, you know, solid biblical, exegetical uh, preaching through books of the Bible. The text drives what I preach, right? And the text drives what you preach. So uh, if it's not in there, then I'm not going to preach about it. If it's not relevant to the text, then I don't mention it. Um, But absolutely. And so we preach truth. We don't preach worldly politics. Um, I I agree with you. I despise, in fact, I actually think it's blasphemous to bring someone in, put them behind a pulpit on Sunday morning, and they do anything other than open the word of God and exegete that word for the people, Um, regardless of what side you're on. Right. Um, Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah, And and we ought to. Yeah. And so when people balk at, uh, you know, bringing in Republican speakers uh, and they make those comments, I'm in full agreement with them. Um, And then when we see the thing like Kamala Harris, my view is exactly the same yeah, yeah. Uh, right that's one of those areas where you know the preacher has a specific reason uh, to be there um, and yeah so w- w- we can beat a bit de- dead horse there but uh, let let me move on to um, to Titus right we'll hit all these verses that go through the pastoral epistles um, I-, I mean Titus sort of re-emphasized what we've already talked about uh You get the qualifications of a pastor. Boy, this is also super important, especially if you've ever been a part of a pastoral search committee um, or you're voting on a pastor. Whether you think you should be voting or not is a different topic for another day. But um, just listen, you know, the qualification uh, so this is Titus one five through nine. For this reason, I left you in Crete. This is the Apostle Paul uh, writing to Titus that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So it was Titus's job, an elder, to appoint other elders. Namely, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, a one woman, man, having children who believe, that's if he has children, not accused of indecent behavior or rebellion. The, for the overseer must be beyond report, reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, self-controlled, righteous, holy, disciplined, Holding firmly the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. Well, here we go. Why all of that? So that he will be able to both exhort in sound
1: doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important, and that that really um, that summarizes a lot of what we said. Um, that the the pastor needs to know the scriptures, and and this um, brings up um, a, a kind of a related point that. You know, we often think of, people often think of theologians as these academics that only exist in seminaries or universities or whatnot. Well, I I love what R.C. Sproul once said, everyone's a theologian. It's just a matter of whether you're a good one or not. And that should be, in terms of being a dedicated theologian, that should absolutely be true for your pastor. Um, he must be someone who is devoted to the Word of God, studying the Word of God, continuing to dig deeper into the Word of God, and, and wanting to not only just be able to teach you guys, but in the process, he's edifying himself so that he can make sure that he is continuing to walk according to the way that the Scripture has called him to. But here, I love that, so that he will be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine. The, the exhort is, is um, strong encouragement, commandment, uh, calling the church to obey this falls right in line with the Great Commission, right? I mean, when Jesus Christ said, go and make all disciples, that starts by baptizing, but it continues by teaching them to observe all that I commanded yeah. you. And one of the things I love about the epistles, we, we talk about how we have the gospels, that the gospels provide us with the ministry of Jesus Christ, his, his many words and, and discourses that he shares there. And, and there are a lot of teachings from Jesus Christ that when you read it, they're not always easy to understand right away what what he's referring to well one of the benefits that we have is that the teachings of jesus christ are applied in the in the epistles so, if you want to know how the teachings of Jesus Christ, uh, how it's applied to us as believers, read the epistles. And in this case, we have uh, Paul writing to Titus. This is one of the pastoral epistles, and this is a, a special one because Paul is addressing another elder in terms of how to establish other elders. And so, th- this is right from Paul's heart that those elders need to be able to exhort in sound doctrine. That means you're. Pastor must be devoted to the word and preaching sound doctrine, calling for the church mm-hmm. to follow sound doctrine, but that also means to refute those who contradict. And there's a lot of people that they get a little bit of a burr in their saddle um, when pastors start to speak out against false doctrine or start to name names of people who are contradicting um, sound doctrine, mm-hmm. but that is his job. And especially, you know, and I, look, I'm not in the pulpit and making a list of all these false teachers and just burning them up every single week in front of the congregation. But for certain teachers that I think may have uh, an influence and some of them have a huge influence in the bookstores, TV ministries. Um, Joel Olstein's an easy name. Steve Furtick is another one. Um, but but those kinds of guys, I have no problems bringing them up bringing them up and saying look, what they're teaching is false um, because your sheep, if they don't sometimes if they're exposed to the temptation of following those false teachers and you don't name them by name, they may not even realize that those are people that they should be staying away from. And the pastor, his job is to protect the sheep from the wolves. And so, you know, that's all encapsulated right here. Exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for the pastor, right, again, just to reiterate what you've said, what we've just read, it, it's the pastor's duty. So, understand, if the pastor is unwilling to refute those who contradict doctrine, if a pastor is unwilling to call out false teachers, fundamentally, he's failing in his duty, Right now, you, you you don't want a contentious pastor. Obviously, you you read the character that he's supposed to have. Um, you don't want an angry you know pastor that every week he's just shouting from the pulpit. You know, uh, damning every heretic that he can name over and over and over again. But um, at, fundamentally, that's a part of the pastor's job is to refute sound doctrine for the sake of the
1: flock, right? Um, yeah, and, and, and he's, 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 be, he's being an example to the flock too, right? And, and so, it goes back to what Ephesians says, speaking the truth in love. He is to be an example of one who speaks the truth in love. Um, so, just his conduct from from the pulpit should be an example um, yeah. to the church on, on what that looks like.
0: And I think this is another good place um, to, you look at this passage, okay, you're, if you're, you're not a pastor, um, you have no intentions of being uh, you know, an elder, but look at this, and this could help a lot of folks in the church. I think get a better grasp on what they would like to see the pastor doing biblically. Uh, you know, just ask, I mean, the pastor's supposed to be hospitable, loving what is good. Um, how's he going to know what's good if he spends all of his time doing things other than in the word? Yeah. Um, or, right. How do any of us know what's good or what's bad other than that? We know scripture, self-controlled, righteous, holy. I, I mean, holiness, you're talking about sanctification, while we're here, right? There are two aspects of being holy. Uh, One is God's work alone. We're made holy in Christ, perfect, complete. Uh, But obviously, we don't realize that in full here. And so, there's the sanctification process. Well, you don't walk in greater holiness here other than being submitted to the word of God. Um, So, if you want your pastor to really have the character God has said he must have and by implication be developing, uh, then you want a pastor who spends as much time as possible in the word of God. Um, I mean, we have a great example of the apostles, right? So, there's an issue uh, with the feeding of the widows. Yeah. And so, they come to them, they address the issues, and the apostles make what probably for a lot of people in the American church is an offensive statement, uh, but that's because we don't understand it. They say, well, it's not good for us to serve tables what yeah. what, What do you mean? It's not good for an apostle to serve? Well, no, right. right? They carry on. Uh, our ministry is we need to spend time in the word and in prayer. Pick from yeah. among yourselves qualified men. Um, it, the point is that they were leading, shepherding, uh, founding the beginning of the church. And they needed, above all else, to be in the Word of God and be in prayer, so that they could do the job God had for them to do. And that is the same role and mentality um, pastors should have. And every church, every deacon board, every um, you know pastoral search committee should be every member should be wanting. To do everything they can to make sure their pastor has enough time in prayer and the word because it isn't it doesn't just affect him and it it affects the entire affects the entire church
1: yeah and i love that example that you gave acts chapter six verse four that's when the apostles said we must devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word and in that case we were talking about the apostles and we just mentioned that the apostles and the prophets they were there to lay the foundation of the church the foundation has been laid Um, there's been a number of churches that were seated during the apostolic age but even more significantly than that the entire new testament was provided to us um, by the apostles and the prophets and so, from that point, uh, when you see Paul getting towards the end of his life, his focus is not on trying to identify other apostles and prophets, but it's what? It's to tell Timothy, for instance, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, to preach the word and to be able to do much of these things that we're talking about here. But there's a second thing I wanted to point out. Even as we look once again at Titus 1.9, that verse that we just read, that that uh, the, the man of God, the one who's an elder, needs to meet all these requirements so that he's able to both exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict, it also means that he must be discerning, right? And that goes back yeah. to Ephesians as well, that as a result, the church is to be discerning. Well, how's the church going to be discerning if the pastor is not discerning? And and I will say this, there are so many pastors. And I uh, this may upset some people when I say this. I'm not going to name names in this case, but um, two of the biggest problems um, amongst many, but two two amongst the, the biggest problems I see with pastors, the the ones who who are they're well meaning. Um, they they understand uh, truth uh, to, to some degree. They have a foundation, at least in the gospel. But I think there are too many pastors today that are unable to discern error. Um, hmm. So, there's one, those who cannot discern error or the ones who discern it, but they don't have the backbone to stand up against it. So, this passage in verse nine, when it says that he's able to both exhort and refute, it means that he must be able to one, discern, and two, he's got the backbone to be able to stand up and refute it. And so, if you have a pastor that is a sweet guy—he's uh, he's preaching the truth, um, but he he's not seeing the errors that are out there. Or if he does, he doesn't want to speak out against him. I, I hate to say this, as as sweet and loving of a man as he is, he probably shouldn't be a pastor. And and I've I've said this I, I said this recently this past week. Look, there are many false gospels out there, many false uh, you know pro, uh, proclaimers of truth, and uh, if. If a person who is in the ministry role of preaching and teaching, if they don't recognize there are many false gospels, then they have a discernment issue. And and my my message to them is: please step down. You are you are you are part of the problem. If you don't see all the false doctrines and gospels that are out there.
0: Yeah, and I think this is one of those areas where you know, as we as a mature person, a mature human being you ought to be able to look at the qualifications um, and separate that from your emotional attachment. You know, I can have, there, just as you say, that, you know, there can be a guy who loves people. Let, look at deacons. So let, let me use deacons as a good example. The biblical deacon is a servant in the church. Um, they have all of the same character requirements But what's missing is being apt to teach, being able to teach. There's not the requirement for the same level of discernment um, in that way for deacons. And so, we have to be able to look at a man who has been preaching, maybe he's been put there, maybe, you know, for whatever reason, and we say, wow, he loves God, Um, he can teach uh, a little bit, but he's lacking severely in this discernment. You know what? He just doesn't fit the biblical qualification as an elder. Um, But look, maybe he fits the biblical qualification for a deacon. Um, And we have to be able to rightly um, say those things without, you know, feeling like we're attacking the person. Really, it's an immature response. Um, It's for the sake of the church that God gives these qualifications. But that's another thing. Uh, If we're just going to be a bit candid about it, it doesn't matter what you think, and it doesn't matter what I think. Right. God has given parameters around for the sake of the church, and we have to submit to those things, right? Um, but we can do those things lovingly, gently, caringly. Um, I, I think a lot of leaders in the church were have been exposed as ones who have had a lot of good, solid things otherwise, but we've just learned that either they're a bit cowardice um, no. or… They can't discern dangers, very real uh, dangers in the church. And so they ought not to be looked at
1: for leadership. Toward, um, right. And we just have right. to recognize and- that. Exactly. And, and of course, there's a whole other category of people that um, they just don't accept the truth, right? Um, so, we just, uh, Owen Strachan was on um, some sort of uh, talk with someone who um, separated between the words of Jesus Christ and the word of Paul. And, and in his oh, words, goodness. he said, yeah, yeah he said, um, I-, I love the gospel of Jesus, but um, I think he said, I have a hermeneutic of suspicion towards Paul, um, which basically means you actually don't love the words of Jesus because the lo- words of Jesus is applied through Paul. So, you can't… So separate the two. But in that case, you have what I would call a scoffer of the word. Um, yeah, he, yeah. He's basically he, he's basically raising um, some parts of Scripture as being um, inspired and other parts he's pushing down. But there was another quote that um, I think uh, Chris found, uh, Chris Williams, he, he found, and I guess this this man had talked about, this same man who said, I have a hermeneutic suspicion towards Paul, he had um, talked about how Jesus Christ from the cross said it is finished and then went on to say, no, the work is not finished. So basically he said that Jesus is wrong, that, uh, that it is not finished. So there's a whole different category of people that simply don't believe the word, um, that I would assume that um, if you see someone like that, that you would know that that's not someone that we can listen to or follow or or go to as church. Um, We're really talking about those who believe the truth but maybe lack the discernment or the backbone to be able to stand up um, against those who contradict. But even as Paul was writing to Timothy… Uh, first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. I mention this all the time, but what's about to come up, this is Paul's most emphasized command in this letter. And this is his the last letter that we have from him it's the last letter that paul expects to write because he thinks he's going to die soon after this so he he says all these things leading up to the commandment in verse two which is to preach the word says be ready in season and out of season and then look what he says reprove rebuke exhort with great patience and instruction so, the man who is called to preach, to, to pastor, to, to oversee, when, when he is to teach, he is to be able to do all these things, reprove, rebuke, exhort, but to do so with great patience along with instruction. And, and that's, again, it's not just anyone that can just step into the, up into that position and do it. Um, that has to be someone who has been gifted by God to be able to handle those responsibilities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the role of a pastor is not to be a nice guy. Right. And so, if that's why someone is a pastor, because they're just the nicest guy in the church, well, then you, you fall utterly short of the qualifications, if that's the reason. You know, talking about having a bit of a backbone, let me, let's just continue in this part of Titus, because, I mean, here's the Apostle Paul, right, who is speaking to Titus. Uh, assure, most assuredly, we understand Titus is learning, picking up Paul's example, obeying his commands. But ju- just continue on, listening verse ten. So we just read uh, previously, so that he will be able to both exhort and sound doctrine, and to refute those who contradict it. So continuing in verse ten, it says tells us the reason why, and or rather whom he's refuting. For there will be many rebellious people. Empty talkers and deceivers. I mean, the language Paul uses here is quite a bit stronger in the Greek than in our English, which is common. These aren't nice, fluffy words he's using, Using right? Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced. Why? Because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. Um, And he goes on to make another hard statement. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, (laughs) lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprimand them severely with a purpose so that they may be sound in the faith. Right. I, I mean, and so you just cannot have a shepherd who's afraid to do this. Yeah. um if he is he may be very well suited for other things in the church but not as a shepherd in the church
1: yeah and and um paul we have to understand that paul did not mix words i mean that statement that you just read "Cretans are always liars evil beasts lazy gluttons and he says this testimony is true he would have been canceled today um by today's standards right oh I mean, yeah absolutely he, he would have been absolutely canceled but the, but that's not to say that paul was um was Um, insensitive and reckless with his words. Um, Obviously, we wouldn't say that he's insensitive or reckless here because this is the Word of God. Um, God, uh, by the Holy Spirit, um, moved through him in order to provide us these words. And yet, we do see Paul's personality in that. But when we look at um, Ephesians chapter 20, when he's addressing the Ephesian elders, he he tells them that uh, day and night for three years, I never cease to admonish you with tears. And so, you see the heart of Paul in that as well, that even though… he. Can cut it real straight when he's calling out false doctrine. I think of Galatians one he, when he says, "If anyone gives you a false gospel, anything other than what we have proclaimed, he is to be anathema. He is to be accursed." Right. Um, so he, he didn't mix words, and yet it, he, there's a great tenderness uh, with Paul as he instructs uh, Titus, um, as he instructs Timothy, um, how um, these men need to be men of great patience. Um, they they need to be um, people who who are examples in in loving people with the truth, uh, tr- speaking the truth in love, just as the example that he wants for the church in uh, in Ephesians 4. Um, so, there is both. It's not an either or. It's not either you're completely loving or you speak the truth straight. No, yeah. love and truth go hand in hand, and there's a way to be able to, to do that. And <clears throat> this plays into, and, and this might be a separate uh, discussion, but biblical manhood. To me, this is what biblical manhood is: is that you stand on your convictions. Um, you're not simply a doormat for the world. Um, at the same time, you don't have to respond in violence either, right? You don't have to get yeah, upset yeah. or or, um, or or lash out or make yourself into a victim. You just stand firm on your convictions, and and you um, love the people um, who are around you, those who have been entrusted to you. Um, and, and that's again, that's what you're looking for in a pastor. It's not someone who's just a doormat to the world and and uh, and and so weak that um, that. He's not able to stand upon his convictions, and you also don't want someone who's pugnacious or belligerent yeah. or always seeking to to fight with everyone that um, that that's in the world or or everyone that may disagree with him
0: yeah which is why it's so important to know what the qualifications are right because yeah. you, you have those things in there, not quick tempered not you know greedy hospitable uh, self controlled right. uh, but it's interesting because even in this verse in Titus you see the whole purpose of um, I, I mean, one, he's just very simply making truth statements, right? If you're a liar, you're a liar. It's not unkind to say that. Uh, if you don't want to be called a liar, then don't lie. Um, but but the whole point is uh, what you're making. It, he it, we see in the statement, right? So that they may be sound in faith. I mean, this is the whole point. Not so. Yep. Not for condemnation. Not for ridicule. Not for. I mean, his entire motivation is to point towards truth, the truth of the faith, for the body to be sound in faith and for others to come to repentance, right? I mean, we see, uh, for instance, when he turned over, uh, who was it, Hymenaeus and, um, oh, who was the other? I forget now. Um, I think Alexander. Um, Alexander and Hymenaeus, right? Yeah. He turned them over to Satan. But yeah. Why? I mean, he, he tells the motivation. It wasn't just to call their names out. It was so that they would learn not to blaspheme. Yeah. Um, and, and so we see a redemptive motivation in all of these things, uh, but nonetheless, it's part of the function of the pastor to be able to do this. Now, it, why? And we've talked uh, we've talked about it, you know, over and over again, and we'll talk about it again. Let's just go to Acts twenty. Um, I mean, this is again why we do this. is part of the function. Um, He says, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all people, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Mm. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. That's a powerful statement, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I mean, that's like six weeks of sermons just in verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock. Pastors are guards over the church, right? This is why we call out false teaching. This is why we refute and we reprimand. Um, and we do so partially out of fear because the one who has put the pastor in place, the right pastor, is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit yes. that has made you overseers. And so there ought to be a right
1: reverential fear of God in every pastor, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that, um, I had quoted uh, Jeremiah 3 earlier, but it's uh, good to bring it up again. Chapter 3, verse 12 where the Lord says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who yeah. will feed you on knowledge and understanding. That's what was missing in the Old Testament, that the leaders who were supposed to shepherd, and by the way, um, in the Greek, um, the same word for shepherd is the same word as pastor. Um, so, so the two words in the Greek are, are the same. And uh, it brings to mind Psalm 23, um, the Lord is my shepherd, um, I shall not want. Um, that's from the words of David. And uh, goes on to talk about how the shepherd meets all of his needs, and that's that's the the, the role of the pastor from a spiritual sense to make sure that he is overseeing and, and taking care of the, the the flock. But yeah, that goes back to an Old Testament promise that God would raise up um, true shepherds um, who would really pastor the flock. And and I do love that verse that you just quoted because it talks about it mentions both the word overseer and shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, that these are the overseers, and these overseers are the ones who are to shepherd uh, the flock. And and this is is obviously um, a a very involved uh, process. It's an involved task. Um, And yet... Well, as we saw earlier in the Book of Acts, it's dedicated to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So at the same time, we we still um, remind you that the pastor is not called to do each and every single ministry across the entire church. In our church, we've got uh, meal ministries. Um, we recently had someone who had to uh, travel between here and San Diego, which is two hours away, um, round trip every day to uh, receive um, radiation treatment, and we had someone that was driving her there and back um, every single day from our church. Those are ways that that you. Minister to people, visiting people who are sick, visiting people who are um, who are shut-ins and and can't uh, leave their home. You know, those are all important duties, um, but th- those are all duties that the church is called to rally around. Uh, the deacons are called to to help support, and and the all-involved purpose of the pastor um, really just centers upon prayer and the ministry of the word and. After G three, we heard a message from um, Paul Washer, um, who yeah. actually oh, yeah. really hit this point home, um, saying that um, this is prayer is one of those um, aspects of ministry um, that uh, that that most uh, pastors probably overlook, and and also churches don't do them a service by expecting the pastor to do everything at the expense of prayer, because prayer is the is the power um, behind everything, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, th- there's so much in this passage, and uh, and let's continue on because it 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 gives a even fuller picture, right? He um, goes on to say uh, to shepherd the church, which he has purchased with his own blood. I, I mean, so uh, uh, it, this is one of the reasons pastors are um, ferociously good. Pastors are ferociously protective because it's not just that we're caring for anything, uh, any common thing. Right, I mean, one, we have to give an answer to God, right, for the souls of the people we're shepherding. But two, the the church was purchased with the highest price that could ever be paid—the blood of Christ. Yeah. Um. And, and so its value is insurmountable. Uh, you, you you can't put a price on the people in the church, um. Right. And so I think when guys in the church start to understand. Um, how pastors, what, you know, what their character is supposed to be, what their expectation is from God, what their commands are from God, and um, understand how, uh, just how precious the body of Christ is. Um, It's helpful, but he goes on to say that I know, I being Paul, right, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Now, let me just stop there. If you're listening, you're not a pastor, you attend church faithfully every Sunday, do you Want a pastor who, when he sees the wolf, cowers in fear mm. or, or runs away? Mm. Um, no, no, nobody wants that. And if, you, if you've ever grown up around livestock or you know any livestock farmers – um you have even a probably a more vivid picture but you know just th- as we're talking about this now i'm thinking uh, you know maybe a couple weeks ago so we moved to alaska to plant a church here and part of a huge lifestyle change for us um is having to do a little bit of farming uh, to, to help, right? So my grandfather was a goat farmer. I grew up every summer on the farm. I just never thought I'd be doing it. I'd like a shirt and tie. Um, but uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, you know, my wife and I were laying in bed late at night and talking and whatever. And I, we, I hear this growl outside and I realize something is at my livestock pen. Um, it, it, there's no thought. Instant action. I throw on some clothes, run down stairs, grab my shotgun, grab my sidearm, and I'm outside. It's dark. And whatever it is attacking my livestock is going to get shot. Um, I, it, it doesn't matter. We have wolves. We have coyotes. We have bears here. Uh, we have badgers. We have weasels. We have everything you think of. We also have pet dogs that run loose. Well, here's the deal. I don't care if it's my neighbor's pet dog. I'm not going (laughs) to stop to look and see what's attacking the animals I'm caring for. I'm going to protect them. Um, That response is, and, and it's nothing on me. Everyone who has livestock does the same thing, right? It's just what you do. But this is the imagery of a true pastor. A wolf comes into the church and he's ready for battle. He's ready to protect life and limb. He's ready to guard the spiritual health of the people. Mm. Um, And so I think, I can't remember who said this now, but you see this quote around, it might have been Spurgeon. Every pastor has two uh, responses, one for the sheep, which is loving and kind and one that's brutal and with force or something to that effect towards the wolves, right? Um, I butchered that saying, but but this is the imagery here. Because savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise seeking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, so because of all of this, be on alert. So the pastor is a constant watchman. Remember that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish you. Now this is, you know, after we're told you know, we're told to exhort in sound doctrine, we're told to rebuke, uh, to uh, reprimand, to uh, refute, to encourage, exhort, and then it comes down to this, and this is why you need men of courage in the pulpit, because when wolves come in to attack you, you need a man who's going to stand up, even at risk of his own self. Um, you know, this is what you've got to have. So if you want a man like this, you've got to have a man who is deep in the word of God and in prayer, uh, because that's the only
1: way you develop this character, but this is the role of a pastor, right? Yeah. Deep, um, deep in prayer, deep in the word of God, um, also strong on his convictions and, um, and, and, and fearing God more, more than men. You know, what I see in this passage you just read, this is a powerful passage, Um, After my departure, savage wolves, and and wolves don't come as wolves. They often come disguised in sheep's clothing, right? Because it says it will come in among you. I mean, the idea is that the, the wolves are not going to come and announce themselves as wolves. They're, they're going to come in, and, and they're going to look like a part of the flock. It's um, 2 Corinthians, and I want to say it's um, chapter 11, that uh, talks about how Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, and um, his servants disguises himself as servants of righteousness. So, they're going to look like us, and and it's not just people coming in among the flock that look like us, but he even says that even from among your own selves— men will arise speaking perverse things he is saying that even from yourselves and you know what paul you know that paul when he sees someone who is false he's going to call them out But Paul even realizes that sometimes you just don't know until it happens. Mm -hmm. You know, until they start to make their false beliefs known, or or until um, the the ways that they're disobeying becomes public. You know, that's why excommunication—the whole process of excommunication—exists. But he's saying even from amongst your own selves, they're going to arise, and when they do arise, the idea is that you're going to be able to address it. You're going to speak out against it. You're going to stand firm, rather than just allowing them um, maybe out of association or or fear of of dividing the church and and. this is where by the way division is good right because if men mm-hmm. arise who are speaking false things if wolves come from within the flock that's where you want to divide between the pure and the impure and and again that comes back to discernment that comes back to a man who's driven by his convictions who fears god more than he fears men mm-hmm. and all this in order to protect the flock
0: yeah absolutely and yeah that's a, I'm reminded of Jude in that comment, right? Jude yeah. talks about those who have crept in unnoticed. Yes. Um, and and so we exactly. have those very obvious uh, attacks. Often those come from without. And then, as you say, Jesus himself, right, is the one who said that there'll be wolves in sheep's clothing. And so we have that. And so we have this. But so these are. You know the 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 roles of a pastor and i think uh again if folks understand okay actually we want a pastor who's willing to call out false teaching we want a pastor who is uh willing to call out false doctrine we want a pastor who um in the character right that god has said he must have is able to rightly discern the ways in which he does that um you know sometimes we're more fierce than others uh, and, and those are situational uh, calls, right? That, that's where yep. we need wisdom. Um, uh, you know, I mean, since I used my own illustration of shooting things that attack my livestock. Um, uh, I mean, a, another good illustration is, um, it, you know, when we first got here, we had a neighbor's small dog. I uh, don't know who it is because we live out in rural Alaska. That dog could have traveled for miles. Um, I, was, I don't know what he was. Just a small you know, bigger than an ankle biter, just under, um, just over the size an eagle could carry him off. But anyway, uh, you know, he was around our our livestock, and you know, I, I just I t- I took a slingshot and just pelted it in the backside, um, and it whimpered, not being severely hurt, and I haven't seen it since. Um, and and just as an illustration, right? We don't deal with every attack in the exact same way, but we deal with it, uh, and and that's really, I think a good point that you made. Um, but it, this is the pastor's role. So, it's not to be at the soup kitchen every week. It's not to be driving the uh, the pickup bus on Sunday. It's not to be involved in every ministry in the churches. In fact, really and truly, um, it's optimal if the pastor is solely focusing on The preaching and teaching of the word and the things that that involves uh it involves doing some counseling it it involves doing some visits at times um but he should be free to do those things for your sake for the sake of the body of christ um because if you're not in the word you're not going to have discernment and you're not going to know when not when the very obvious wolves come um it's when those who jude says has crept in unnoticed that you especially yeah. want a discerning pastor. Um, we've seen this a lot this last couple of years, right? Although I think yeah. now most of us would say it's obvious and a no-brainer. Um, yeah. But when things like critical race theory or intersectionality come in, you need a more discerning pastor, um, at least in the beginning, right? And it's not to say we catch everything all the time instantly, um, but you, but you need that. So let's just move along. Um, I mean, there's so many verses that we could talk about, and I would just encourage, you know, guys to study the pastoral epistles, study what scripture says the role of an elder, the role of a pastor, the role of an overseer, shepherd is meant to be for your own sake. Again, you know, if you approach this subject and you gain an understanding of the function of a pastor one of the biggest ways I think that it impacts the life of the church is very simply what we've mentioned a lot, is that now, instead of you believing that it's the pastor's role to do all the ministry, you actually now understand that the pastor is equipping you to do the work of the ministry. I mean, if you look at Grace Community Church, which I, I think they're a great example. I'm a little, I'm a little biased, admittedly, but um, they have so many ministries Well, why? Because their leadership and because their leadership has taught well, not just the leadership, but then the congregants also understand and believe that they're the ones to be doing the ministry. And so someone comes and says, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to start a feeding ministry in this community. Grace Community Church leadership says, Praise God. Absolutely. uh, We're here. We'll help equip you, train you, uh, but go do it. Go do it right? And they release them and that's how ministries get started for the most part uh, at Grace Community Church because they understand that the body are the ones who are being prepared for ministry. So, that's a huge change. I think um, with all the talk about churches impacting communities and all of that sort of thing, well, if the church would understand that they should be doing ministry, we'd see a lot more of the presence of the church in communities, right? Um, And and our goal, I only have to say this because of all the social justice stuff. Our goal is not to make the world love us because we feed the homeless. That's not why we do those things, right? Um, But if someone has a burden for that kind of thing in the church, uh, it's not the pastor's job to do it. Go do it, right? No one's stopping. uh, No good pastor is going to discourage a member from
1: starting and doing ministry, right? Yeah, amen. And uh, the the in fact, the ministries of the church and a lot of churches may have set up ministries in their past and it's kind of almost become traditions to have certain ministries. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I often tell people is that um, the, the ministries um, that a church does, uh, there are certain ministries that are fixed. The ministry of the Word is fixed. The ministry of prayer and, and the ministry of evangelism, those should be fixed um, parts of every single church. But above and beyond that, um, going beyond that, that really is dependent upon the giftedness and the availability of the people that are w- there within the church. So, there's going to be ministries that um, you may have certain people that are gifted in certain ways that are able to carry certain ministries, but if some at some point they move on, they move or they pass away and you don't have other people that can fill those ministries well you know, um, maybe that's that's just the Holy Spirit working through the church to really start to emphasize other areas, right? So, the um, the, the ministries, I agree with you completely. It's how the Holy Spirit is moving you to accomplish His purposes, to um, further the, the the growth of the kingdom of God, whatever it is that um, God is moving you in your heart to do. Talk it over with your pastor and elder just, you know, in, in order to just make sure that they're aware of it, that they don't have any biblical concerns about it. Um, but if they don't, um, I assure you that they're going to encourage you, go ahead and do it. And, you know, we can put it in the bulletin. We can talk about it if anyone wants to help out, be more than happy to um, support those things. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can only speak for me, but I know for me, um, if someone comes and says, hey, hey, look, I'd really love to see our church do this um, XYZ thing. And I'm going to say, great, when are you going to start? Uh, the, the things I'm looking for, I, I'm going to look at their character, there. Right uh, before we, you know, make it a church thing, I'm gonna look at their character. I'm gonna look at uh, kind of their ability. Or are they able to do that? Um, talk with them through it, and then I'm gonna say, "Great, do it." Let me know when you're gonna start. We'll be here for support. We'll, as you say, we'll put it in the church bulletin. It, as long as you're here and God blesses it, we'll we'll have it. Um, and then go do it. Uh, you know, um, that that's our role, right? In fact, I think every pastor would love to see an abundance of that kind of thing because. Yep. It means people are being equipped for the thing that our job exists for, for the work right. of the ministry, right? Okay. Um, so, it, it, you know, one last one we can cover quickly, First Peter 5, 3 just reiterates the same thing, right? right? Um, and, and the point of going through all of the same over and over is just to show you that pastors don't really get to choose what their function is. It's repeated over and over in Scripture, it's very clear, and it, it, it doesn't really go outside of these clear boundaries. Um, it says, therefore, I urge elders among you as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and one who is also a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Well, here you go. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God among you, mm-hmm. exercising oversight. Right. So he's explaining what that looks like, not under compulsion, but voluntarily voluntarily. According to the will of God and, with, and not with greed, but with eagerness, nor yet as domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples of the
1: flock." Amen. And Peter, at the end of the book of John, um, that was uh, Jesus' point when he sat down and asked him three times, do you love me? And, um, and, And Peter said yes to the first two times, the third time he was frustrated, he said, you know all things, you know I love you. And the three answers that Jesus gave back were, tend to my lambs. Um, shepherd uh, my sheep, tend to my lambs. Um, uh, So, that that was the focus of Jesus Christ to Peter, and now Peter gave gave that to us um, in his letter. And to your point, um, the shepherd is operating that the faithful shepherd or pastor is operating according to the um, expectations of god we're not here to entertain men we're not here to necessarily make you you feel good about yourselves and um, one of the greatest encouragements i received um, right from my own church i think i was um, only a few months in um, into uh, my my start as a pastor here and he um, told me one time he said uh, he said pastor you're you're not here to make us feel good about ourselves, are you? And uh, and I, I said, you're, you're right, I'm not. I'm, I'm here to apply the Word of God to you. Because the, the the pastor, he's not there to make you feel good about yourselves when you really shouldn't. Um, he's not there to entertain you, which is not the purpose. Um, we come together for worship. And, and in that sense, the pastor um, above Everyone else in that uh, congregation is the true worship leader. Now, we often use that title for someone who's leading the congregation in song, but the overall worship leader is the pastor. So, he is there to ensure that when the people come together, they are worshiping. And worshiping is not according to how we feel or what we want or what we want to hear in order to feel encouraged, but it's rather to give glory to God and to be able to teach His truth that can better inform that worship of Him.
0: Yeah. Amen. And, you know, to put language that Paul Washer recently used, uh, it, by the way, I'll link that sermon. Um, he did a sermon at uh, Praise Mill Baptist Church after G3. I listened to the sermon uh, online. Incredible. Um, it, it, it'll help you with all of this and seeing from the lens of a pastor what the role is. Um, but it, Paul Washer used a word that I really liked. He said, you're king's men. Um, Mm -hmm. And and you need to understand that is what a pastor is. He's the king's man in that his orders come from the king. He reports to the king, nobody else. Um, And and that's who he's responsible to ultimately. And so when you think about um, what the pastor's role is and how it affects you in the church, if you understand that, it eliminates – well, it, it eliminates a lot of disappointment. It eliminates a lot of heartache. It eliminates a lot of frustration, all from uh, ignorance, right? All from false expectations uh, or wrong expectations. It just kind of helps, um, I, I think, foster such a greater health in the church because you're starting to have good ecclesiology, right? How the, church in, how the church works and functions, uh, we've seen that we desperately need to recover healthy ecclesiology in the church over these last couple years. And so, you start to understand why your church isn't involved in everything you want him to be, because he is, in fact, doing a greater work. Um, he's caring for your soul. He's protecting uh, the church from false doctrine, from false teachers, from falling in areas uh, that he… Um, can can see, you know, approaching danger, um, man. That is the pastor's role, um, and so your expectation of the pastor really uh, should be to hold him to these things, right? So I, I I would love to see more people coming and saying, you know, pastor, I'm just really concerned that you aren't spending enough time in prayer um we've got you involved in all these ministries and i'm looking at your calendar on the church calendar and just when can you pray we need to take you off of some of this stuff man what a difference that would
1: make in a church right more of that rather yeah that's the attitude we need to have yep yep sorry you cut out for a moment so i didn't know if you'd stop but yeah um amen to all of that um that the more we know the more we can work together and be effective So,
0: Well, guys, I hope that this has been helpful to you. Um, uh, Again, our whole point of doing this is to approach it from a little different angle, not for pastors as much as it is for you so that you can grow in your health um, with an understanding going forward of really what your pastor's role is biblically, um, why he does the things he does if he's following scripture, and so that you can Grow right in your own walk and life, um, and get out there and and know that He's there to prepare you for the ministry. Um, And so, talk with your pastor, find out what that looks like, um, and and get involved. Right, we're not we're called to good works. Uh, Every every Christian should have a life filled with the works God has for them. Um, And so, I hope this has been helpful. Any
1: last thoughts, Eki? Um, No, I I really enjoyed uh, going through this. This is uh, very important uh, for the church to be able to understand. And as you mentioned, especially those looking for pastors and uh, the best place to go as always is to the word of God and see what it says. That's how we run our church. Um, That's how we um, know who are the right men who are qualified for that position.
0: Amen. Well, so until next time, let the truth be known.